welcome everyone to episode two of Picture Blurfect. I'm your host, Naomi Harlembacus Wilkerson, and I'm so glad that you joined us today. If you haven't already, download episode one. That gives you a nice little overview of what this podcast is all about. Um, but for those that are just joining us here today, like thank you so much for for joining us, and I'm so excited to have you. And this podcast is all about exploring, you know, negative self-image body insecurities, things that a lot of us are just so afraid to talk about and confront because our world tells us not to. So how do we go about our our daily lives and, you know, things that really just trigger us, things that really get us down? How do we get out of that rut? How do we live a life that's fulfilling and and enjoyable without letting the, the triggers and the unnecessary distractions get us down? So today's going to be really fun. Today we're going to talk about all things social media and we're going to get really nerdy. I'm going to talk to you about why we're addicted to social media, like what goes on in our brains, and then I'm going to get into a little bit of the nitty gritty of what goes on into the brains of those that may have eating disorders. There's a little bit of research out there and I'll dive into a couple papers here and there that have done some of the research that shows exactly what's happening in our brain uh, when we're scrolling through social media because I don't know about you I I get in those ruts where I just like scroll mindlessly like it's it's unbelievable I just like grab my phone and it's like second thought I just open Instagram and it's like do I have a purpose in doing this no I just do it to pass time I don't know and does it really bring me joy I'm I'm not sure I I can't really say it does um and I found actually in the last few weeks or so that I've really tried to limit my my time on social media, particularly Instagram, just because it's it's mostly pictures. And I have this problem, I don't know about you guys, where I just constantly compare myself to other people and it's mostly, you know, my body and and you know my my worth and, and I tie my worth to something that's on somebody else and it's just not healthy. And so I really had to kind of take a step back and that's that's where you have that strength, right? Where you have to take a step back and realize you know what, this is maybe not so healthy for me and, and have that self-awareness to say, I should really limit my time on, on Instagram or whatever that may be for you because it's just not making me happy. Um, I do have a social media account, an Instagram account for my dog, Pippa. Um, it's Princess Pippa 314 if you're interested. Um, so I do tend to look and and do her social media because, you know, she doesn't really have thumbs. And you know, I do find enjoyment in that. And I've actually have found like, it's a little experiment, you know, I'm in science class all over again. Um, where if I'm on that account, the dog account, where I'm mostly following other dogs and I just scroll through those account versus my account where I follow my friends and my peers and other reality TV stars and people, you know, that are like, I see on TV and movie stars. I find that my mood is a lot better if I'm not so consumed in that world with, the alternate reality TVs, celebrity lifestyle, that kind of thing, uh, versus just animals. Um, so I'm actually a lot happier if I just look at puppies, uh, which I should have known that going in. But I found that, that that for me that has helped me, and I've really just tried to limit my time on Instagram. So we're gonna get into like why we're so addicted to that, um, and how it can all impact you know the way we view ourselves, what goes on in the brain, and and how it impacts e- those with eating disorders directly. 
So I'm going to start with um, a study that was done in 2015 by Mesh and his colleagues. Um, and in this study, he noted that there are five key behaviors that go on when we engage in social media. There's broadcasting information. That makes sense when we make a post or something. There's receiving feedback. There's observing the broadcast of others. That's the scrolling that we do. There's providing feedback on broadcasts of others. So someone may have a post that you want to comment or react to. Um, And then the last one is the key one, comparing yourself with others. And that is, you know, the number of likes, the number of followers, the comments. This is where we're like, well, why do they have 15K followers and they're only, you know, 15 years old? Um, Or, you know, oh, she got like a 140 likes and I only got 12. Um, this, why do we do that to ourselves? So there is actually a neural basis for being addicted to likes and notifications and those comments that we see on social media posts. And that's where our brain's reward system is actually involved. The brain reward system is, is made up of um, a various Uh, structures in the brain and um, you've probably heard it talked about a lot because it's the same reward system um, when it comes to things like that's involved in things like sex and love and exercise and even eating chocolate all of those things those areas in the brain that are activated that's called your reward system because it ultimately makes you feel good and the neurotransmitter that's used in all of those activities um, that make us feel good is called dopamine Now, according to this 2015 study, there are two areas in the brain um, that I can I can get into a little bit here that are really involved in the reward system. You can I can talk to you a little bit more about even more um, areas, but we'll focus on a few just for today's discussion. The ventromedial cortex. So say that again, ventromedial ventral. So like if you're holding a brain in your hand, the top of the brain is dorsal. The bottom, which is in your hands and touching your hands, that's ventral. So the ventral medial, meaning so the sides of the brain, that's lateral. And the further you go towards the middle, that's medial. So the ventral medial cortex is somewhere on the bottom towards the middle. And um, so the ventral medial cortex is involved as well as the prefrontal cortex. Now, you've probably heard a little bit about the prefrontal cortex. Um, That's the part of the very front part of your brain. So that makes sense. Thank you, scientists, for naming that appropriately. But the prefrontal cortex is that area of the brain that doesn't develop until you're much later, until you're 18, early 20s is when you're fully developed in your your prefrontal cortex. And that's where all of the decision making happens. Um, So that's why we tribute a lot of stupid stuff that teenagers do with the prefrontal cortex not being fully developed. And one last area that's also involved, the ventral, there's that word again, striatum. That's just a name of, of an area in the brain, but on the base of the brain, the part, the ventral, the bottom. So all of those become active when you both receive feedback and when you give it. So there's this a neurological basis for why, you know, when we respond to something on social media or when we get it back, all of those areas in the brain are activated and we, we feel good. We want it to continue happening and dopamine is released and, and we want that feed forward system to continue. Now, there are parts where these areas of the brain, it can just kind of go awry in eating disorders. And that's where I particularly wanted to focus on today because a lot of us, you know, 
you may not even have an eating disorder because there's just so many of them. And we all have these types of struggles with how we see ourselves and how we compare ourselves with others. But um, it can kind of like our neurological mechanisms in the brain and the connections that we have between so many different neurons and areas in the brain, it can kind of go awry when, you know, everything is is not as it should be. And, And how does that relate to what we see on social media and then therefore how do we feel about ourselves? So I mostly, you know, I'll, I'll use anorexia as an example because that is, is the disease that I have. And something I hear about all eating disorders, in fact, is that it's a vain disease. Um, and it's just about this person that's just so into themselves and, and how they look or over-obsessing about what other, others think of them. And that just couldn't be farther from the truth because there's a very real neurobiological component to it. And this reward system in the brain um, that I just talked about is a very big part of that. So I mentioned that area, the striatum, right? So hold on to that thought. We're going to talk about it again here in just a minute. In those with eating disorders, researchers believe that the reward processing the reward processing center, excuse me, is faulty. So it's not just not working as it should be. And some scientists have even gone as far to say that the basic biological process of feeling good when we should feel good. So say when we like eat a piece of uh, chocolate cake and it tastes good, right? Uh, and you want another, and and oh, that that's yummy. Like I would love some more. That's not always what goes on in the minds of those with an eating disorder. That process just essentially breaks down. And I see it in my own life. Like I know technically I should be enjoying this wonderful piece of cake and yet my mind won't let me. So why is this happening? So the brain in those that uh, those of us that have, you know, struggles with, with body dysmorphia and um, negative self-image and a preoccupation with these thoughts, um, we have difficulty processing a good and positive reward. And on the flip side, those with eating disorders are actually oversensitive to punishment. That's what these studies are showing is that not only can you not correctly process a good and positive reward, but you are actually also oversensitive to negative and negative issues and, and punishment. So there's one study that's actually go on to actually show this, and it's, it's quite fascinating. So let's dig in. So researchers scanned the brains of these healthy women and then also scanned the brains of women with anorexia. Again, there are there should be more studies on this, obviously, because most of them do focus on anorexia, but we should be having more funding and more studies on bulimia nervosa and orthorexia and body dysmorphia, all kinds of disorders that just plague our societies. But this study in particular focused on anorexia. So each of the women played a regular betting game like with money. So in women with anorexia, these brain circuits that are involved in reward processing, uh, they were actually less active when they won, but more active when they lost. So that goes back to that point where I was saying they, they are just not able to fully process positive rewards, and then they are oversensitive when, when, when they lose. So let's break this down a little bit and and get more specific. So when scanning these women in both the healthy women and those with anorexia, there were a few areas in the brain that lit up when winning this betting game. And one area, one system of the brain um, that lit up was called the limbic system, as well as the anterior executive striata territories. Now, both of those lit up in both sets of participants, and they responded more strongly to wins versus losses. 
what did I just say? Was that just gibberish? I know. Um, but I will explain that in a little bit more. Um, but in another part of the brain that's referred to as the posterior executive and sensory motor striatal regions, those with the eating disorder started to show an abnormal pattern. So that region of the brain, when they lost, lit up way more in this game um, when they were playing versus when they won. So those were some of the striking differences. So let's go back. What were those areas of the brain that I just mentioned? And you're like, okay, pause. I'm not listening to this woman anymore. Um, Bear with me. Um, The executive striata region. This refers to the parts of the brain known as the caudate and the putamen. The caudate and the putamen. I'll say that again. Together, these two regions make up what's called the dorsal striatum. Okay, what do they do? Both of these regions are involved in all kinds of circuits throughout the brain. The caudate, for example, um, that's where researchers saw the abnormality mostly. And that is a part of the brain that's really involved in learning, memory, reward, which is what we're talking about here. Things like motivation and emotion, all of these are really tied to um, eating disorders. The putamen is is pretty similar to the caudate. Um, they're, they're connected. And it's involved in function, functions related to learning as well. So together, these two structures make up the dorsal striatum, and they receive all kinds of feedback from across the brain that help us to not only regulate movement and decision making, but there's actually recent literature that shows it's involved in reward processing, punishment, and even habit formation, which sounds super familiar for those of us with eating disorders and these bad habits that we have over and over again. So in this study, those with anorexia demonstrated an overactivation in the back end. That's what posterior means. So they saw an overactivation in the back end or posterior caudate. There was another region that lit up more when the individuals lost in this game they were playing, the cognitive anterior cingulate cortex. Okay, break it down. Our brain has two hemispheres, right? The part of the brain that connects these two hemispheres together is, car- is called the corpus callosum. Now, the part of the brain that surrounds the corpus callosum, it's kind of like a collar. It's called the cingulate cortex. So when we say anterior cingular cortex, it means the frontmost part of that region. So the anterior cingulate cortex is involved in all kinds of complex functions like empathy, impulse control, emotion, decision making, and even detecting conflict. So from this research, it looks like this area too is a lot more active in response to negative situations like losing or receiving criticism for those with eating disorders. And because these areas of the brain are responding differently than normal, it leads these individuals then to make different decisions, right? So rather than being able to appropriately balance between reward versus um pushing and and learning from these experiences, those with eating disorders tend to fixate on those imperfections, on the things that go wrong. So this research is just one example that shows that what we see and what we hear, everything that's wrong with us, we hear it more and it's louder in our head than when we hear compliments or rewards or anything good. So in a sense, by always focusing on these flaws, we try to then strategically fix them, right? Because the circuitry in our brains is just not correctly responding to the stimuli around us, including rewards, including positive feedback, we tend to then overcorrect and engage in behaviors that are really ultimately damaging. There's a line in this paper that I wanted to share with you guys that really specifically goes on to say, 
as anorexic individuals are particularly sensitive to criticism, failure, and making mistakes, these findings may reflect the neural processes and responsible for a bias in those with anorexia to exaggerate negative consequences, which is exactly as I said, we fixate on the negative and then we try to like go and fix them and we do that in a usually a damaging way. So that's just a little bit of neural underpinnings of anorexia. And honestly, that just barely scratches the surface. Like, for example, anorexia is just, like I've said, one of several eating disorders. There's so much more science, so much more to go over. Um, but but we'll stop there for now because I know I've overloaded you with a lot of cingulate and cauda imputamens and all kinds of different words that I hope you all will use your flashcards to go to bed at night and, and remember what I said. <laughs> Now, knowing all of this about the brain and the altered reward system uh, for, for those with disorders, how does social media play into all of this? So we'll move away a little bit from the science um, and go back to the social media component that I mentioned at the beginning. And I mentioned that there are five key behaviors involved when we engage with social media. And I want to specifically focus on that last one, something we all tend to do just because that's the nature of social media, comparing yourself with others. So there was a 2016 study from Australia and they found a very strong link between consistent social media use and negative body image issues. So this paper defines uh, body image issues as anything ranging from dieting, self-objectification, and body surveillance. And what was so neat with this study is that it tried to isolate what could be contributing exactly to these feelings of body dissatisfaction. For example, the data showed that exposure to one's own social media account, meaning when when they asked participants to only look at their own profile on Facebook, Instagram, or when they looked at another site that was a lot more neutral, it was not social media related, when they looked at those two things, that did not negatively impact their body image. And they did that, you know, through a survey. Um, and actually, participants who spent time on Facebook reported an even more negative mood than those who spent time on the control website. So something that was more neutral, like like news or, or shopping. <laughs> so this suggests that feelings of dissatisfaction with your body or these increased feelings of, of low self-esteem and, and unworthiness, those were associated when people looked at other people's posts and profiles, which, you know, we should have, you can basically guess because that's just how social media goes and that's what comparing is all about, but it's kind of nice to see that there's like actual validation for that. So all the scrolling we do, this mindless scrolling through our feeds, and we just start falling into this trap of like, oh, why can't I look like that? Or why aren't my arms that toned? Whatever that word even means, toned, I don't get it. Um, It's just an endless cycle, right? And so to try to feel better about ourselves, we engage in these behaviors that we think will help resolve those feelings of of not fitting in, of, of not being good enough. I notice it in myself all the time, like I talked about in the beginning. Like, And I have to remind myself that comparison really is the thief of joy. What is all the scrolling going to do for me? Is it adding anything beneficial to my life? And I have to really be honest with myself. So um, I may not, and the thing is about social media, one other thing I wanted to touch on is that like you may not realize it in that moment, like seeing all those images um, and especially like for me, like there's a lot of like fitspo images where people are like really trying to motivate you to be healthy and active. And 
I completely get that. Like I understand there, there, I recognize there's an obesity problem and, and we have to get people to be healthy. And that's what it's all about though, to be healthy and active. But for people like me, my mind tends to take it too far and I tend to not be healthy. Um, and that just really robs me of my joy personally. It might be different for you. You might be seeing something that really you may not in the moment realize it's bad for you, but later down the line you find yourself like, oh, I want to look more and more like whatever image I saw for weeks on end. So I'm really just trying to like keep my Instagram checking on on deck and I'm really just allowing myself to look at adorable puppies and animal videos rather than just TV stars um, because it's just not worth trying to compare our lives with with the lives of our loved ones or those that we may not even know and quite frankly the people we don't even know they don't care about your life or what you're doing in your life so we shouldn't try to reach for their standard and be like them because they quite frankly don't care. So if you're struggling with this problem, and I feel like a lot of us are, I I really hope that this science helps you understand how the brain works a little bit as far as why we're addicted to all of these likes and these notifications and comments and and these words of affirmations. Um, They're good in a sense, you know, but try and develop this sense. Like it's really hard though. Like I have years of therapy to thank for this, but I really have to develop this sense of self-awareness and recognize oh, it's going too far, like, oh, I, I need to take a step back, this is too much, and I'm resting my happiness on what other people say or the n- amount of likes I'm getting, um, dic- and it's dictating what, you know, my mood is, and that's just not, you know, that's just not healthy, and the science that I just talked about today really goes to show that why we tend to overfixate on these negative aspects of ourselves, unfortunately. So again, it's just scratching the surface of so much research on eating disorders and and the role of social media. And, you know, with the COVID-19 pandemic, like we've seen just a drastic rise in eating disorders. And I'll admit, like as soon as the pandemic hit and gym shut down, I freaked out. I freaked out. But I really had to calm myself down and be like, you know what? I I'm going to be okay. There is a pandemic and it's still raging out there. Um, But there are numerous articles coming out now that these anxieties with our bodies and, you know, going back out into the world now as all of us work to get a vaccine, um, we're nervous about, you know, going back out into the world, how other people may perceive us. So the anxiety and the fear and the depression with our bodies and who we are is really real. Um, A quote from Brene Brown that I really wanted to share with everyone because it's just so fitting for for this conversation. It's from her book, Braving the Wilderness. I'm going to read it to you. I've come to this conclusion that the way we engage with social media is like fire. You can use them to keep yourself warm and nourished, or you can burn down the barn. It all depends on your intentions, expectations, and reality checking skills. I love that. It's such a good reminder to ask yourself, are we using social media as just, you know, something that helps add a little spice to our life, something that helps us feel nourished and good about ourselves, or are we weaponizing it and and using it to feed our insecurities? That's the trick. That's the trigger. And that's where we really need to like think about this week. That's what I challenge you to do is to think about like how you're using your social media. Is it really like fueling your happiness or is it just an added like, oh, I can go without it. It's fine. Um, and if you're in the first bucket, I would really recommend, like I just discovered on, on the iPhone that you can actually limit time 
on the amount of apps that you have. Um, so I've limited my Instagram to like 30 minutes, um, which can go by really fast when you're like looking through stories and scrolling. Um, but there's just so much more you can do, like put down the phone, go outside. The weather's so much better. Walk the dog, things that really, you know, drive you and to be a better person so we need to take that that look inside and it's it takes some time so don't be hard on yourself if you find it hard in the first few weeks um and if you need to reach out please feel free to reach out I have my email in in the in the episode description so I really am all ears on this I know how much of a struggle it is um, I've been through grad school with an eating disorder. I've, you know, had deal with a lot of family issues as well with an eating disorder. And it's just, I've pretty much been through every scenario and I just don't want anyone else to go through it alone. I'm fortunate enough to have a husband that's really supportive and he completely understands. And when we were dating and I, I was pretty upfront with him about it and told him, you know, I have anorexia. He wasn't really aware of what it was, but he did all kinds of research for it to really try and be aware of what it was and how he could be more supportive. That's the kind of person you need in your life and as a support system. And I just have a wonderful group of friends. So if you don't have that though, and you're still afraid to reach out and and to really vocalize what you're feeling and and thinking, uh, please, please reach out to me. And I, I have a lot of resources for you. Um, that's about all I have for this episode. I don't want to overwhelm listeners. I'm going to try and keep these episodes to 20, 30 minutes each and and give you little bits and pieces of of what eating disorders, social media, and and how we can really navigate this world for just full of negativity. Um, but to come out on the other side, more positive and happy. And, um, I hope this helped. I hope everyone uh, listening is, is doing well. And if you need anything, you know, I'm here and, um, I'll talk to you guys next time. Please take care of yourselves. Oh,